Hello, Americans. Stand by for news. <laughs> Annoying. Check. Abrasive. Check. Obnoxious. Check. Irritating. Check. Tell me again why you even listen to this guy. It's Jeremy Lennon on the Classic Guitar Rock Daily Update. Welcome. Welcome to this special late night edition of the Classic Guitar Rock Daily Update. It is, uh, well, it's 8.20 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, this is, uh, what's the day? It's Monday, February 19th, 2024. And I'm, I'm not in the place I'm normally at. Uh, I'm in Montana for some family business. I have a, a place in Montana. Uh, I'm on a different mic than usual. I've got some kids in tow. You might hear noise in the background, so just ignore that. <laughs> but let's do a, a quick update for today. And thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can e- uh, email me at classicguitarrocketmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Love to share your emails on either the update or one of the podcast episodes. I'm excited about this news because this is not something I was expecting. Alex Van Halen will be releasing a memoir memoir titled Brothers in the fall. Uh, This has been announced by his publisher. Of course, it will be about him and his brother, the late, great Eddie Van Halen. It's scheduled for October 22nd. And it will be available as a 384-page hardcover, a 720-minute audiobook, and an ebook. Uh, no further details were revealed by HarperCollins, although the preview displayed the alternative titled The Brothers Van Halen. Now, this is interesting because uh, can I call Alex reclusive? Kind of. He's been completely silent since Eddie's death. And, and the last 10 years before that, Alex was not one to uh, speak to the press. He was a very private person. So uh, the idea that he's coming out with the memoir is very interesting, something that I will definitely want to look at. It's likely the book will focus on drummer Alex's relationship with younger brother and bandmate Eddie Van Halen. This is from uh, Ultimate Classic Rock. As kids, they'd started out playing each other's instruments before swapping permanently and put their first band together in fourth grade. They went on to form Mammoth in 1972 before David Lee Roth and Michael Anthony arrived two years later, and the group changed its name to Van Halen. And Alex and Eddie were the only members uh, to be in the band from the very beginning until Eddie's death. Uh, in 2020. Uh, Quote, this is from an interview with Alex in 2021. Quote, after we honed our skills, you learn the connection between the people and the music. Playing live, there should be no dead space. Never turn your back on the audience and never insult them. They are equal to you. That line that separates the audience from the stage, that's not a line. That's just to keep them from puking on your stuff. (laughs) You're there to make the audience feel good. So this will be a very interesting uh, memoir. I'm looking forward to reading it. No mention about his lack of involvement 
with the uh, Eddie Van Halen tribute that's coming up by way of Sammy Hagar and and Joe Satriani and Michael Anthony. They're going on the uh, Best of All Worlds tour this spring. Um, Eddie touched on it, uh, the fact that uh, Alex has not, you know, expressed interest in, in taking part. Sammy said uh, last year, he said, you know, I guess he, I guess, just doesn't like playing without his brother. And I don't blame him. God bless him. So no hard feelings. But it is interesting that Alex will be putting out a memoir. I'm looking forward to reading that. From the This Is Why No One Likes You file, Roger Waters. I don't, I don't want to get into politics. Roger Waters has been called an anti-Semite. Uh, I think it is, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would definitely say he is a, not a fan of Israel. Okay. I don't know if that's directed at the, I don't know. He just is angry and bitter and does not like Israel. Well, he's spewing about Bono. Bono had uh, dedicated the song Pride in the Name of Love to the victims of the uh, attack on oct was it october 9th i can't remember when that happened yeah october 7th uh when terrorists attacked uh people at the music festival in israel and killed thousands of them so bono dedicated a performance of that song to them and roger didn't appreciate it he said anybody who knows bono should go and pick him up by his ankles and shake him until he stops being an enormous S-H-I-T. This is a family show. Uh, so he was not wild about that. Um, and he kind of goes into a tear, anti-Israel tear. And um, Roger, dude, just wh why do you do that? I, I, don't, I don't get that. I mean, politics aside... Um, Here's as political as I get. If you intentionally kill innocent people, you're an a-hole, okay? Doesn't matter what side you're on. If you're intentionally ki killing innocent people, you're an a-hole. Simple as that. Uh, Tommy Lee can twirl his drumsticks for the first time in years thanks to a recent hand surgery. Uh, the Motley Crue drummer shared that his debilitating issues... Or, or, or talked about his debilitating issues in a Saturday Instagram post explaining that he dealt with a condition called Dupuytren's contracture. That doesn't sound fun. In which one or more fingers get stuck in a permanently flexed position. He shares a photo uh, with his fingers bent and several graphic images of his hand during and after surgery. He ended the post with a video of him twirling his drumstick for the first time in a couple years. Quote, well, kids, it's show and tell time. Hope this doesn't wreck your lunch. Re referring to the graphic photos. Only three weeks ago, I underwent a hand surgery by Dr. Glenn Cohen. He addressed two debilitating issues for me as a drummer, keyboard player, and pretty much everything to do with my right hand. And yesterday was effing monumental for me to the point of tears. I have my life back and my money makers. And for you drummers and musicians out there, I can say it's possible to fix. And in the last clip, I'm able to twirl my drumsticks again. 
I haven't been able to do that in a few years because of the Depoitrin's contracture and carpal tunnel issues that are now gone. Uh, to Dr. Cohen Hand Surgeon and the staff there, I am forever grateful. End quote. I wonder if there's some type of surgery Vince Neal could get. <laughs> I'm terrible. In a recent interview with Classic Rock, Bruce Dickinson says if he could do it all over again, he'd still quit Iron Maiden. Remember, he left Iron Maiden in 93 and then didn't come back till 99. He says that um, I wouldn't have changed that, but I would have done it better. I would have had more of a plan. Dickinson agreed it had been a spur-of-the-moment decision explaining, I realized Iron Maiden was doing its thing and there was nothing anybody could do to change its tra trajectory. At the time, I was sitting there making what ended up being his second solo album, Balls to Picasso, and I realized that I didn't have much clue what to do outside of Iron Maiden. He added that it had been a shock to discover he was feeling institutionalized in the band that made his name. I thought, what do I do about it? I made the decision that I either leave for the rest of my life or I have... Oh, I made the decision that I either stay for the rest of my life or I have to leave. Of course, he made the decision to, to leave. But he came back. And and apparently, you know, that, that I, I don't I don't think there was ever an uh, acrimony. You know, I think he was always friends with the guys, and I think he was very glad to to come back. One thing that was funny, he says, "I take great pride in being able to voice Steve's riffs." He said, "There's not many people that can do it. I could never figure out why he wrote such bloody difficult words, though." Then we were chatting one day, and it came out: the words follow the bass and drums. I tried to explain to him early on, look, Steve, I'm going to lose my front teeth trying to sing this. I never thought I'd be able to sing Alexander the Great when I heard it the first time, but that worked out fine. So he's back in Iron Maiden. He's doing his solo thing with the Mandrake Project. He's happy, but he just says he wouldn't change a thing. How many of us look back at even the, the mistakes we've made and say, you know, it was a mistake but I wouldn't change a thing. I think a lot of us do that, actually. We learn from our mistakes. What do they say? Anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Maybe that's true. Uh, from the uh, business file, in a new interview with the Arrow Collins View from the Writing Instrument podcast, that's a mouthful, former Dawkin and current foreigner bassist Jeff Pilson, he's also a member of Revolution Saints and in machine. I mean, he's got lots of stuff going on. He spoke about the importance of streaming in supporting music industry revenues. He said, uh, as transcribed by blabbermouth.net, well, streaming is a big part of our consideration right now because it's the primary source of where people listen to music. And that's rough on the artist because the royalty rate for streaming is ridiculously bad. So for us, it really comes down to you do your best. We still sell physical CDs, so, so that's a good thing. Our audience still does buy physical CDs, so they get to see that album cover and everything. But that's an increasingly rare thing. So streaming becomes a consideration because the revenue stream is so much lower. And it really is. You would be shocked at how little 
artists make from streaming. I mean, it's, it's a pittance. It really is. He says, quote, I think what's going to have to happen here one of these days is musicians are going to need to do what the actors and writers just did in Hollywood and either come up with a strike or something to renegotiate what streaming revenue is because it's really, really poor and it's unsustainable. You're not going to get people being able to make a living making music pretty soon and that's going to be dangerous. I don't, I don't know if dangerous is the word. Uh, then the standards of music are going to go way down, something we are dead set to avoid. During the chat, Pilsen also criticized the method of using artificial intelligence to write music, saying, unfortunately, computers can write music now, which is crazy. It's a crazy thought. All you got to do is listen to Metal Gods by Judas Priest. You don't want, you don't want the computers taken over. No. But yeah, that's another big reason why there needs to be renegotiating happening because there's probably going to be a lot of people unemployed now that write elevator music and that kind of stuff because a computer can do it. So why not? And that's dangerous. So let's talk about this for a sec. Um, Spotify has been criticized for offering, I mean, a pittance, a pittance to the artists. Um, but... Daniel Eck, who's the CEO of Spotify, he says, quote, we don't pay artists directly. Artists have their deals with their record companies and their deals with their publishers, etc. And what Spotify does is we pay out to those record companies and these publishers and don't know what individual deals these artists may have. So he's kind of trying to uh, wash his hands of it. I don't know if that's accurate. But 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 his point is valid that there is a middleman here. There's the publishing companies and there's the record companies, and they're making money. I, so who who's the guilty party? Is it Spotify because they're not paying the record companies enough, or is it the record companies of the share they get from Spotify they aren't paying the artists? My guess is it's probably a little of both. That's probably what's happening. But let's. Consider this idea of artists going on strike. First of all, the jury's still out on whether or not the actors and writers strike ultimately wound up being a good thing. I don't know. I've, I've heard pros and cons. But let's, let's think about for a minute if artists, classic rock art, Dawkin, Pilsen was in Dawkin. So Dawkin goes on strike. What does that mean? What does that mean? We, we, we aren't going to play any more new music. Well, guess what? I'm just being realistic, just spreading the facts. As a classic rock fan, 98% of what I listen to has already been recorded, and it's 20 or 30 years old or 40 years old, right? So can they go on strike? I don't think a strike would keep their catalog from being played. It would just be, we're not going to make any more new music. Well, Classic rock artists don't make hardly any money from new music, which is sad. I mean, but that's just the way it is. I don't, I don't see classic rock artists going on strike as helping. If anything, it would hurt their cause. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Shoot me an email, classicguitarrocketmail.com. Let me know what you think. It's very interesting. I don't know that, that going on strike would be beneficial to classic rock artists unless there was a way that they could keep 
people from streaming their, their catalog. And I don't know how you would do that because they've already basically, you know, sold those rights or whatever to the record companies. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Uh, and we will uh, endeavor to persevere and we'll see what happens with all that. With that, Thank you so much for joining me. We'll do it all again tomorrow. It's a classic Guitar Rock Daily Update. Chances are I'll still be in Montana for the update tomorrow. Uh, but we'll be back uh, to the command center on Wednesday. And we'll be able to do the updates on X and YouTube and Facebook as well. Guys, take care. Thank you so much. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. Thanks for listening. You can email Jeremy at classicguitarrock at mail.com. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Tune in each weekday for the Classic Guitar Rock Daily Update.